Wheat harvest has begun, Texas cotton faces a windstorm, and have you heard the news about dicamba? Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at issues across the country as reported by our editors. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress, and if you hear noise in the background, it's because my home studio continues to be surrounded by an active construction zone, and it looks like it's going to go on through the summer. In this episode, I'm starting off with Shelley Hughley, editor of Southwest Farm Press in Texas. She shares insight on the wheat harvest and how the weather is shaping up this summer to challenge the 2020 crop, from drought to windstorms. And we touch on the impact of the Ninth Circuit Court ruling on dicamba. And speaking of dicamba, Mindy Ward, editor of Missouri Ruralist, and I have a conversation about the ruling, the confusion, and what all of this might mean for the future of crop protection products. And she turns the tables on me a bit for a discussion of how ag tech might be impacted. First up, let's head to Texas to talk with Shelly Hughley. Shelly, you're down there in Texas, um, garden spot up in the panhandle, I think. But it hasn't been much of a garden spot lately, has it? Talk to me about how your actual harvest is going in your part of the world. Well, wheat harvest in Texas has really been a little bit better than what was expected. You know, we had a mid-April freeze in the Southwest, including Oklahoma, Texas, and producers were really concerned about what that freeze was gonna do. In Texas, it doesn't seem that there's been a lot of damage. I talked to Dr. Bell yesterday, Jordan Bell from Amarillo, and she said overall, the, the yields have been pretty good. She said, honestly, it's kind of a mixed bag. And I feel like the last couple of years when I write about agriculture, that's often our answer. Just the weather creates so many different situations and therefore the yield varies. And so she just said they're really seeing a mixed bag on yields, but it's better than what they expected. Oklahoma was hit really hard and harvest definitely hasn't been what they had hoped. But at the same time, a a producer I interviewed after the freeze in uh, Chattanooga at at the end of April said that he was able to harvest enough to to have seed for this fall. So he was was thankful for that, but he was also coming off of what he was, what was looking to be a bumper wheat crop. So that, that's obviously been really disappointing for him and, and many producers in that area. Yeah, that's not good. And it, 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 yeah, like you say, mixed bag. I think I'll just throw mixed bag in with the new normal unprecedented times and some other jargon that apparently we must all use now, don't you think? Right. <laughs> but yeah. the other, other side of this too is uh, cotton. How is the cotton looking and uh, where are you in that process? Because it is going in the ground or it's up, I think. Yes. So both um, <laughs> there's, uh, guys are finishing up planting, and but most of it has been planted. I'll tell you, weather continues to make headlines. I guess it's always a headline in agriculture, but it just seems more so. This year, uh, we had in the panhandle, winds gusted up to 70 miles an hour. And I had, well, Jordan Bell sent me a, a photo yesterday of a friend of hers whose cotton Young cotton is covered up basically in sand dunes. Heath Kimbrell in Sunray posted pictures on Twitter yesterday of his cotton crop blown out. And and what was left and looked hopeful by yesterday afternoon was was turning black. That's been hard. And, And to further complicate things, it's also been really dry up here and in other areas of the state. And so for our dryland guys, 
that's obviously not how they want to start. But even my farmer irrigates, we've had many conversations and he's very concerned that we're not going to be able to keep up, that it's been so hot and it is so dry. We're not even sure that our irrigation can do what it needs. We need it to do. So definitely some trying times. A question for you. You know, in the in the north, when we talk about um, bad weather and rain, we talk about replant because we get flooded out. Now you just talk about being winded out. Are there replant options for those cotton farmers, or are they just basically out of luck? You know, I I don't know what they're going to do. Quentin Shieldnight did again. I've just kind of been looking on Twitter to get a feel of what's been going on, and right. he was asking, you know, are are there any suggestions for a short season sorghum? So I'm not sure what what producers are going to do. Well, they're flexible. I mean, we we do what we can do, right? To put, right. And a short season sorghum might be a good choice considering there's some, uh, looks like there's been some interest in sorghum exports. So that might be a good choice. Absolutely. If the guys looking at options and we all know sorghum likes it dry. So yes. we'll see what happens there. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. The other area I think that is you're in Texas. And so this has been hot news the last couple of weeks. And I just wanted to touch on it a little bit is, of course, uh, dicamba, the ruling on dicamba, with some confusion until Monday when EPA came out with its final ruling. You dealt with that with some farmers you talked to. What what was the confusion like when the ruling came down on June 3rd? No one knew what to do. Then EPA said on June 8th, this is what you can't do. How was that dealt with in your part of the country? And add in the fact that your secretary of ag has petitioned EPA for a Section 18 emergency use label to continue using those new dicamba formulations. Well, I think the hardest part was the confusion and the lack of clarity. Um, I can talk about just even personally, my own farmer was, the question was, well, if I already have it, then can I spray it? Or if I order it now and, and it's in my possession, you know, what what are the do's and don'ts? And, and nobody seemed to really know. He went from ordering it to canceling it to <laughs> yeah. ordering it, canceling it. I mean, it was just back and forth. So we have obviously since canceled because we can't we can't spray it. It had to be in our possession as of July third and June and June third. June third. I mean, 3rd. excuse me. Don't June. don't waste my summer. <laughs> right? No, June third. June third. Yeah, it's all starting to run together. Yes, um, it is. We're we're looking at looking at other options and um, I talked with Todd Bauman from OSU yesterday and he just said timing is going to be really critical that. Um, Growers are going to have to really, with with these alternatives and and some of the things they might go to, time is is going to be important. And and as you mentioned, our commissioner has requested the emergency uh, exemption. So we're waiting waiting to to see what happens with that. I looked on their website uh, this morning and and nothing's been updated as of yet. You know, with with the dicamba issue and then crop prices, the weather. Our guys are, are dealing with a lot. It's not easy right now. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. And I know, you know, as with other editors on our team at Far Progress, you're actually living it. You're on the farm. You have a farmer. And we understand that. If, as he's looking for options, you made a good point. The options that we have if we can't use the new formulations of dicamba, except one, you can use one, uh, Tavium from Syngenta is still available. Right. Um, you could do that. But the other side of it is, Every other option, lay-by spraying with, with Liberty or something like that, does mean getting in there early. It changes your whole management. How fast can you move to make that happen? 
Well, uh, you know, my farmer's been on the phone with our crop consultant and they're trying to come up with a plan. So as soon as he figured out, okay, dicamba is definitely not an option, they're making a plan to to go to a, a plan B. Um, the part that's hard that I've heard him talk about and, and even talked about with Todd yesterday was just our area has low humidity and and from what I'm being told, the the alternatives work better in yes. <laughs> high humidity areas. And so there again is concern of is is this going to work? Is it going to be enough? We're going to find out, and that's for we sure. We are. We? Yes. we shall see. <laughs> that's and, right. and blessing. You know, the other thing Todd Bowman said, he said the the I guess the. The good news in all of this is the fact that we haven't had rain in this area and therefore our weeds aren't what they would be, obviously, if we were having a lot of moisture. So I guess that's the silver lining. <laughs> I never heard that before. The silver lining in this drought is we have no weeds. Uh, yes. so, <laughs> I mean, we have them, but they're not yeah. what they would be if we were if it were raining. Anything else you're getting from your part of the the country that you'd want to share with listeners today um, that's happening in your neck of the woods? I mean, harvest is moving along. Planting is finally wrapping up. Uh, Is it just a matter of waiting to watch things grow or get the combine cleaned up and going? It is. uh, You know, the the wheat harvest is definitely underway. I was in a field close to here uh, last week and got to interview and, and video a grower harvesting his wheat crop. And so there's a lot of moving parts right now. I'm uh, hoping to be in a field this afternoon or tomorrow, um, a gentleman that's grown cotton forever penciled out that maybe black-eyed peas were a better option. And so for the first time, and he's been farming a long time, he's going to be planting black-eyed peas and, and trying some different things, working with his crop consultants. So I'm anxious to, to talk to him and see how that's going to work. And I appreciate the fact that he's been farming a long time and still looking at, okay, what even though I haven't grown this before, I'm, I'm willing to try something different. And uh, so I'll, I'll be anxious to, to see what I can learn from him this afternoon. So I'll be anxious to see that story on Southwest Farm Press. And my biggest question whenever anybody does that is where do they sell it? Who's the processor? So that'll be we will want to follow up with that when you get that story locked in. We'll probably talk in the next two or three weeks here on Around Farm Progress because those new opportunities require a lot of different other factors. That'll be interesting to find out more. And I think that's what I appreciate about farmers too is is they're they're always they're always looking, listening, watching. They want to farm and they they want to farm well and they yes. they want to to make a living and it's not just a paycheck. Farming is a way of life and so they're like how can we continue in what our families have done for generations and it may look different the crop may be different but we want to keep doing what we're doing and so they're they're constantly looking for alternatives and ways to to sustain and make this farming life better that's also what makes our jobs fun because we get to work with those folks and help tell their stories tell that's their for stories. sure yes that's my favorite part <laughs> That's right. Uh, listeners to this podcast should know that Shelly's videos appear on the Facebook page for Farm Press, easy to find, and also uh, go along with her stories online as well at southwestfarmpress.com. We've been talking to Shelly Hughley, editor of Southwest Farm Press. Great to talk to you. Stay safe, but enjoy covering agriculture as you always do. Oh, I love it, and I feel honored to to get to tell agriculture stories. So farmers out there, thank you for continuing to talk to me and Trust me with with your story. I love telling it.
We all know farming is hard, or frankly, more people would do it. Shelley does a great job of getting those stories out to readers and a wider audience through her work on social media. Mindy Ward is also telling the farmer's story in Missouri in her role as editor of Missouri Ruralist. This week we're talking dicamba and looking beyond this current controversy to what may lie ahead. Let's check in with Mindy. Well, Mindy, it's been a slow news week in agriculture, he said with satire on his mind. Um, (laughs) Basically, we're talking today a little bit about uh, dicamba and what's happening there. And you've been doing some work on it, both from a Missouri level, but some of the people you talk to are listened to by farmers all over the Midwest. I guess I'd like to get your first impression about what this whole thing and what's going on with this whole dicamba situation. I, th- I think it's rather frustrating. And, and I think one thing that divided us before um, and farmers before was those who were for um, and those who were against. And now it kind of brings that back up again in the forefront of farmers' mind of, you know, there has to be some that after this court ruling are cheering. And then there's some who are grumbling again. But I'll tell you what, they're cheering quietly and they're grumbling quietly because there's not very many who want to talk about it. So it is something that is kind of divisive yet again. We've kind of gone through this before. But I'll tell you, the one thing I've realized from some of the farmers that I visited with is just how this ruling came down. They may um, like the fact that, you know, there are now you're not allowed to use this, you know, after July 31st. And, and what that means, we can talk about later on registrations moving forward in the future. They do not like how it came down. Uh, while they appreciate the fact that someone was looking at the the effects of dicamba on other crops, you know, like vegetables and um, trees, as well as those who do non-GMO technology, those same farmers were saying, but I really don't like how this came down. It's not fair to those farmers who have already planted these type of crops. So I think there's that still the uneasiness of it all. <laughs> yeah, so. absolutely. And I think that's a very good question. And I think today you and I are having a conversation about this from the standpoint that even farmers who were injured by the application of dicamba are sitting there going, wait a minute, these guys just spent all that money for seed that's already got it in the ground. This kind of stinks. And let's reiterate for the listener that the ruling came down on June 3rd. The first comment out of EPA came down June 5th. By the way, after six at night on a Friday, Uh, which I I like to call under cover of darkness. It was simply a statement that they were looking into this. And then Monday the 8th at 6.30 at night, again, Central Time, the full-on statement and the vacation of the official vacation of the labels for the three what I call new tech versions of dicamba. Let's remember Tavium, which is a product from Syngenta, which is essentially a new formulation of dicamba teamed with basically dual magnum esmetolachlor. That's available. That's still legal to use according to this because it wasn't part of the lawsuit. But that's five days from the decision to the EPA saying you can't do it or use it if you didn't own it June 3rd, five days before. And in the interim, in Indiana, in uh, Texas, and even in Missouri, there was questions about what can I buy? And I'm sure guys were ordering it, which they, you know, I got this investment in the ground. What am I supposed to do? Um, and it creates turmoil. It does. And honestly, when I first thought about it, I'm like, wow, that must show really the disconnect there is between a court ruling, you know, in California from middle America. And, and maybe they just don't understand how agriculture works. But then I'm going to tell you, I went and looked through their decision. And at the very last pages, the court ruling 
says, we are aware of the practical efforts of our decision. Among other things, we are aware of the adverse impact on growers who have already purchased DT or dicamba tolerant soybean and cotton seeds and dicamba products for this year's growing season. They already knew <laughs> that it was going to impact us and still they made that ruling or so those farmers and ranchers who had put it in there. And, and they said they acknowledged the difficulties these growers may have in finding effective and legal herbicides to protect their DT crops if we grant this. And, and they say it's of no fault of their own. Still, they said, even with all of that, they're compelled to vacate the registrations. So I thought it was a disconnect, Willie. In all honesty, I did. Right. And then I read this and I'm like, maybe not. You know, may, there might not be that disconnect because they said they, you know, had already known that this was going to be a hardship for farmers out here. And um, it, it's really unfortunate because I think of some of those guys in the fertilizer business and the associations here and even in Missouri, you know, they were talking about it just makes chaos. And just chaos for ag retailers, for the departments of ag, for farmers, for anyone who is, you know, using these products. It just created a chaos. And then they became confused and frustrated. And what they said is now they're always going to be questioning a label. Every time it comes out, if a court can make these decisions in the middle of it, they're going to be questioning a label and they're going to be looking for what to do. And I think that is one of those things we have to address or somebody needs to address. <laughs> right. I understand that. I think I do get that. And the plaintiffs in this case um, have been fighting this for a while. I mean, some of these have been adjudicated since um, EPA first made their first label registrations for these crops. And it's been uh, hanging out. Uh, like this. Uh, yes, I think it's sad the court says, uh, we understand what we're doing to you, but we're going to do it to you anyway. And that's kind of what that sounds like uh, as you read it. But the other side of it is, I don't have any alternatives. I've got X amount of money tied up in these beans. And now what am I going to put on them? Or how am I going to spray them? I guess I'm going to have to go real old school. Um, the good news is... <laughs> I can still use glyphosate on them. Mm -hmm. That's still legal. So I can do that. I'm more concerned about off-label use of dicamba at all. And I think that everybody will be watching for that. And that's going to be another issue for agriculture. Right. Interestingly, the state where all this fight started in Arkansas, they stopped. They couldn't apply uh, dicamba after May 25th. And They're I do done. think some of those alternatives, yeah, some of those alternatives you're talking about, you know, we scientists like Kevin Bradley here at the University of Missouri right. said the reason we have dicambus because we have resistant weeds already to some of those technologies. He, you know, he's not anti-dicamba. That, no. That's not who he is. It's just he is saying we already ha we have this for a reason. This is why this was invented is because we have issues, you know, with a lot of and, and there's nothing to treat it. He said, now if we go back to old school, are we creating greater resistance, more re-resistance? Those type of questions, you know, may put us back a little bit from a researcher point of view. And I understand that. I think it's going to put us all back. And you raised another question. And one of the issues that, you know, we're journalists talking about this and it's difficult for us to know, but it does raise um, questions about other new technologies that might be coming down the pike. Um, how are those labels going to be clean? What are my challenges as a farmer for choosing those products and using them on my farm? And how should I decide to know that those are going to be good for me? And I think the good news is most of the companies, uh, Bayer and BASF, have been very forward as soon as this happened uh, to create. They've got, there's a website created for Bayer to keep farmers informed as much as they can. But let's realize EPA isn't giving us much news to work with. And, and I'm not blaming EPA other than that they're in chaos, too, over this. And so it just keeps us 
kind of wondering what to do. Uh, interesting side note, which we discussed earlier on the podcast with Shelley Hughley from Southwest Farm Press. Texas has applied for a Section 18 emergency exemption for the use of dicamba for the rest of the season. Mm. Um, no word yet on that's if that's happened or going to happen. But uh, if it does, I wouldn't be surprised if other states try to do the same thing. Yes. And I think moving forward, we just have to look at, you know, how farmers are going to bring new technology onto their farm. And if there is a process, and um, I, when I was visiting with some at the university as well as farmers, I said the concept of we have a tendency as farmers to sometimes just go all in. <laughs> it's right. the greatest and newest, and we want to be the first on the block to have it. Um, we want to be the first on the block to either prove that it's right or wrong. Um, and, and some of it, we just need it. But I think there's probably going to be a look at more of a controlled, maybe, process of bringing new tech onto your farm. Maybe not the entire thousand acres of your soybeans the very first year, but maybe you do it on a certain percentage um, or a certain number of acres. I think they're going to end up using this as a learning tool to, to go forward or I think that may be what they're trying to do. But from your standpoint, you see new tech all the time. I yeah. was wondering. <laughs> so where do you think this ag tech is going in the future? And especially when it comes to dicamba, you know, the registrations are up at the end of this year. Um, they're looking at re-registrations. I know some of them aren't the same formulations under the same numbers. But what do you think is going to happen? Well, I think with the the crop protection labels and the tech is different than that but crop protection labels um epa's got to go back to the drawing board the court threw out their label vacated the label based on the fact that they didn't believe epa did a good enough job on dicamba whether that's true or not that's uh still to be worked out any other tech i think there's tech out here that will help with some of this i think from the standpoint of as you look at the tech when you're looking at crop protection you bring up a good point don't go all in but let's remember we went all in because of water hemp and palmer amaranth. And anybody who's seen Palmer at work knows that if you don't get ahead of it, you're already in trouble. So we need to look at the solution we're looking for. But perhaps there will be tools in the future, precision spray tools and precision aerial aerial visual tools that will help me pinpoint the areas where I need to apply and use tighter spraying requirements. You know what I mean? That the sprayer will go across the field. And yes, there are weeds all the way through the field, but it may only hit the weed or it may hit the clump of weed hard, but the clump of weeds is 550 feet from the nearest field. It's in the middle of yours. So that reduces those issues with drift or other things that might be involved. I'm hoping that those kinds of things are true, but that takes investment. At $3 corn, investing in anything new can be a challenge. So I think that that'll be some of what brings this along. In terms of crop protection products, uh, we don't have another new mode of action for herbicide coming for at least three years. There's There are a couple in the works. Truly, there are. But they're three to four years away. So we've got to go with the stuff we've got. And I'm sure Kevin and Brian Young my, you know, at Purdue and some of those people you talk to at other, other universities, they know that PPOs don't work. Uh, SUs don't work. You know, we need these auxin products, 2,4-D and dicamba. And let's remember, bringing up 2,4-D, it's been pointed out that uh, the same court, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, has been looking at Enlist Duo technology since 2015. It's the same plaintiffs and similar arguments. So it'll be very interesting to see if anything comes down on that side. I don't want to scare anybody, but I think it's fair to note that this conversation goes beyond dicamba. Tavium got missed because they went very specifically to the three products in the market at the time when that suit was filed. But nothing says that the plaintiffs can't circle back 
or bring other things back. I think that's my biggest concern. One of the pre, uh, bases for this lawsuit was something called the precautionary principle. Anybody who's followed ag crop technology for the, for the last 20 years knows that the precautionary principle is the rule that was used in Europe to keep GMOs out. It's the concept that if anything can go wrong, you should never approve a product, which means you'd never approve a product. Correct. And, and this is a concern. It's a risk standard. And anybody listening to this who wants to disagree, please comment on the on the website. We we need something more rational than a pure precautionary principle. And I understand for the organic users listening to this and the people with peach trees listening to this, you're right. More work always needs to be done on on products. But to pull the precautionary principle flag and wave it like this, that doesn't just hurt dicamba. That hurts a lot of other things. And we need to keep that in mind that if we set a standard where we can't approve anything, there's going to be a lot of hungry people in the world. Yes, and I, and I do think it's going to have to take that coordination and, and that communication between universities, companies, producers, because companies may have to open up a little bit more and allow universities to look at what can be the ramifications of this product not just where you send it and say, you know, is it on weed control only? Well, on weed control, Camo nailed that. You know, they did a really good job. That Camo was a product that, you know, proved itself over and over again in every trial. It was the extra that it caused that they weren't allowed to research for. Um, mm -hmm. So I think there's going to have to be that coordination, you know, and that collaboration that comes from just giving farmers the product they need in order to get the yields and the results that they are looking for and paying for, because it's hard to make a living as it is. If you're investing in this technology, you want it to work. Well, you're right. And we want to make money and we want the companies to make money. So they keep making new stuff for us to do a better right. job of making money. It's kind of a circle. We're all in this together. And I think maybe that's one thing this lawsuit would bring around is that we are all in this together and open up some dialogue uh, for those groups that are against crop protection products altogether. That's a different discussion. And there's trends toward biologicals and other uh, approaches in the future that I think hold a lot of promise. But we kind of have to keep synthetics available to us now because anybody who understands raising food and feed and fiber on a commercial level has to understand that um, my experience is there are so many things that want to stop or hurt my crop <laughs> when I plant it that I need all the help I can get to get it out of the field in the fall. And I think that's, a, I think you're right, a conversation rather than a shouting match, which lately shouting matches seem to be more common than discussions, <laughs> which that's a different podcast nope. for a different day perhaps <laughs> yes <laughs> agriculture does not need to add to that <laughs> that's definitely true so mindy ward editor of missouri rural as always it's good to chat with you it's interesting to discuss technology and maybe i'll have you on sometime in the future and you can interview me that'll be hilarious absolutely. anyway <laughs> absolutely again, i would love that <laughs> we'll keep that in mind remember it's my podcast but anyway it's great to talk to you good luck to you uh stay safe have fun out in the field i think you've got some stuff coming up that we'll probably want to talk about in the next few weeks uh talk to you later thanks again Thanks to Shelley Hughley at Southwest Farm Press and Mindy Ward with Missouri Ruralist. We appreciate the work you do in your parts of the country. Around Farm Progress is our newest podcast looking at agriculture with the help of our national team. 
But we have some other podcasts you may find interesting, like Down in the Weeds with Tyler Harris of Nebraska Farmer, which deals with a range of ag issues in the region. Or the American Agriculturist Young Farmer podcast, where Chris Torres, editor of American Agriculturist, shares insights in ag from the next generation. You can find links to those podcasts and the daily updates from Max Armstrong at farmprogress.com forward slash farm hyphen progress hyphen podcasts. Again, farmprogress.com forward slash farm hyphen progress hyphen podcasts. It's worth checking out. And we continue our in-depth coverage of all things regarding COVID-19 at farmprogress.com forward slash coronavirus. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States with editors from the Farm Progress team. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional magazines as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer and Feedstuffs, and of course, the Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.